Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's letter to Timothy. And remember the purpose of the letter. Paul is writing to this, his younger friend who is in Ephesus, who's in that church, and he's, t- and he's writing to, to instruct him and to teach him, and then to also to tell things about the church as a whole so that they can know what to do. There's a lot in this letter that is very practical. He's talked about prayer. He's talked about redemption. He's talking about having a mediator. Well, this morning's passage deals with two things. It deals with men's role, and we're just going to see just a little bit about it because the only he gives one verse, he talks more about that in chapter 3, and then he talks about and gets the emphasis on the women, what the women do when they come together, when the body comes together. Now, let me be honest with you, our culture and our society give a different message. Our culture changes, our culture changes, but the Word of God does not change. We get our authority, our rights, and our wrongs, and our roles from the Word of God and not from our culture. So it's a little bit hard because some of the things that are in the Scripture, sometimes people say other things. They say, well, that's not true, or that's not for now, or that's not this, and we'll look at it as we go through the passage. Two things this morning that we'll see. First of all, we're going to talk about Paul's responsibility. We'll go back to verse 7 that I read earlier, just so you can see that and tie it in with us, and then we'll look at the role of men and women as believers gather for worship and training. How does it all fit together? We want to be open to the Word of God. There's a lot of things here, and and not only this week, but next week. It'll take us two weeks to cover through this. We're going to go really basically through 7 through 11 this morning, and then we'll come back next week and get verses 11 through 15, and we'll see how that ties together. Well, let me say this. One of the goals of Countryside, and if you come, if you've been here on any any time at all for for a while, you know that our goal is to clearly teach the Word of God in all our services, whether it's Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever it is. Our plan is to do it in a certain way. It's called expository teaching. Some people call expository preaching teaching. It's where you take the Bible and you go verse by verse, passage by passage through the Scripture. As we do, we're taking 1 Timothy right now. We're going, we'll go through 1 Timothy, then 2 Timothy, then probably Titus. On Sunday night, we're going through the book of Genesis. We've gone through, over the years that I've been here, we've gone through books verse by verse, passage by passage. Now, there's a reason that we do that. And there's a number of reasons. Let me give them to you. First of all, it puts the Bible in context so that we can understand it. When you look at a passage and you look at a verse or two, when you see it in its context, when you see how it fits in that chapter, when you see how it fits in that paragraph, when you see how it fits in the book, it helps you put the Bible together so you can understand it. Number two, the Bible was written as a whole and in a whole way, not just one verse. So when some people pull a verse and they try to talk about it, you can be very careful because if you pull a verse out of its context, you can make it say just about anything that you want it to say. So you have to see how it fits together. The third reason for doing expository teaching is it covers the entire counsel of God. As you go through First and Second Timothy and Titus and, and Luke and John and, and Romans and all of these books over time, you get to see the teaching of the Word of God. You see the counsel of God's Word and see how it fits together. And then last but not least, you cannot skip the hard parts. And it's true, because there are a lot of hard parts there, and that if you really wanted to, you could go right past those. In fact, what if, because I think chapter 2, beginning about verse 7, 8, through the end of that chapter is very hard. What if you came in the next Sunday or two, and I just said, we're now in chapter 3. And you could say, well, what happened to the last part of chapter 2? I said, I didn't want to talk about that. I didn't want to go over that. See, expository teaching, if you don't do expository teaching, one Sunday you can come in here and I'm doing Matthew. And one Sunday I'm doing Romans. And one Sunday I'm doing something else. But when you come in on expository teaching, we're going through to Timothy verse by verse, passage by passage. And then Second Timothy and then something else and something else. That way you see how the Bible fits together and you cannot skip. The hard parts. And there are a lot of hard places in the Word of God. I want you to understand that the very last verse in this passage, which we will not get to today, but here's what it says. But women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. 
What does that mean? Do you realize that if you go to commentaries and you say, what in the world does that mean? There are over 50 different views on what this verse means. Because it's a hard verse. It's a hard passage. Uh, next week we're going to go over it. I'll tell you what I think it means, how it fits together. Both You go back to the original language and you see how it fits. And then you say, this is the best we can tell we think Paul meant when he wrote this. Because we weren't there. And it actually was written to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus, and we're trying to learn it and make application. So the subject for the next couple of weeks is, is kind of hard because it deals with women in the service, in women when we gather together. It's not hard because of what it says, because the Bible is very clear what it says. It's hard because it's the opposite of what our culture teaches. And there are a lot of things that you'll see in the culture that are contrary or different to the Scripture. In fact, our society has roles and expectations on women that are different from the Scripture. We must be true to the Scripture, not to the culture. To some, this may be very hard. It may even be old-fashioned. But we live according to the unchanging Word of God. So we want to be open to the Scripture as we study. Now, in this section, Paul has given instructions to Timothy how believers are to conduct themselves when they gather together. In fact, in this chapter, chapter 2 is where we really get into this, Paul dealt with a lot of different things. He's already talked about praying for leaders. He's always talked, already talked about Jesus being the mediator. He's talked about his responsibility. But as we continue this morning, we'll touch on a little bit of that, but we're going to see that he gets into the instructions on when men and women, when we come together in the worship service. Now, he's not talking about just everyday life. He's talking about when you gather. What are we supposed to do? Let me break down the passage for you. In fact, 7 through 15 is the whole thing. We won't get it all today. But we'll start with verse 7. and just Actually, we're going to go back to verse 5 just for a second. But verse 7 is where we talk about Paul's role. And he talks about that he's a preacher and an apostle and those kind of things. We'll talk more about that. And then he gives instructions to men. And you say, gosh, there's only one verse there because the instructions are women. Go verses 9 through 15. You think, good gracious. Well, the truth is he does mention men there in verse 8. But you go to chapter 3 and the whole chapter Basically, chapter 3 deals with the aspect of men and leadership in a church and those kind of things. So there's a lot there. Instruction to men in verse 8 and then 9 through 15, women. We'll only really get 9, 10, and 11 this morning on how that fits together. Now, as we begin, I want to remind you of a great truth that we saw last time, which is one of the greatest truths from the Bible. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 4 and 5. Those verses go together. It says this. It's talking about God our Savior who desires... All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing that we saw last time was that, there, that God desires people to be saved. He wants people to have eternal life. He doesn't want people to be separated from him. His desire is that people would trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's why he says he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then we saw last time one of the greatest truths of all, that God has a mediator. He says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So we saw last time that God has a mediator for mankind. Now, here's the truth. Why do we need a mediator? Well... We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death. We can never measure up to God. We're separated from God. You know the story of the Bible is the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Here we are, sinful. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We're doing our own thing. We need to get to God. 
How can we get to God? There's no way that we in our own selves can do it. We can't be good enough. We can't do all that. We need a mediator, someone to be the go-between. And that go-between is Jesus Christ. Notice verse 5. There is one God and there's one mediator, one go-between, also between God and men. That is the man Christ Jesus. So as I said, there's the perfect story of the Bible is the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that mediator. He died for us on the cross, paying for our sins. He's our substitute. He's the ransom. He paid the redemption price. And he is the key for all people is that whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life and goes from being separated to God, separated from God to be back in a relationship and fellowship with him. Jesus Christ died in our place being the mediator. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There is only one mediator to God, and that is Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 12 says, There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we might be saved except the name Jesus Christ. He indeed is the Savior. So God has a mediator, Jesus Christ. All who believe in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Well, I just wanted you to see that because it's so powerful. Now, because of that great truth that there's a mediator and that God desires for men to be saved and there's one mediator between God and men, that's Jesus Christ, and that Jesus died for us, Paul says he had a responsibility to do. We saw this last week, but I wanted to start back with it this week. It's verse 7. Notice what verse 7 says. Because of all this is true, Paul says, For I, for this, I was appointed as a preacher. And an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, Paul says because God desires all men to be saved and because there's only one mediator between God and men and because Jesus Christ, that mediator, came and died in our place as our substitute, then Paul says, I've been given a responsibility, and that is to do three things. And that is he was a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And we talked about this last week, but I want you to see how it fits because it ties in for us. Because of the fact that God desires all people to be saved and that God has a mediator between God and men and that mediator is Jesus Christ who died for us being our substitute, then we have the same responsibility. Now, Paul says that he's a pre- go back, if you would, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Let's start, start first with the idea of a preacher. We talked about it last week, and so I'm not going to go into details, but being a preacher means the one who is a herald. It means one who gives out a message. When you see the word preacher, don't think of a person behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning giving some kind of message. A preacher means one who announces a message. Paul said he was a, a an announcer. He announced the good news message, the message that Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. Paul was faithful to tell others that message. Well, guess what? We have the responsibility. We are preachers as well. We get to announce the good news. The good news is the death and resurrection of Christ, and whoever believes has eternal life. When we go out these doors, when we scatter out in this community, whether we're going on the campus or downtown or wherever, we are preachers. We get to announce the message, and it is the greatest message of all, the message of salvation. We have that responsibility to proclaim the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, how he died and rose again. But there's more. Paul said he was an apostle. Now, an apostle was one sent forth with authority. He had the same authority as Jesus Christ. He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. He got the direct revelation from God. Now, uh, the last apostle died with the, with the apostle John. 
So we're not apostles, but what we are is we're ambassadors. We have the authority of the Word of God. We're not the authority, but the Word of God is the authority. We have the authority of God's Word and God as we represent Jesus Christ. So just as Paul said he was a preacher who gave a message, we're preachers who give message. As Paul said he was an apostle, we're not apostles, but we are ambassadors. We do represent Jesus Christ taking the authority of the Word of God. The final thing that Paul said was he was a teacher. And his job, his role was to communicate. That's what a teacher does, communicate truths. He taught about truths about salvation and truths about the Christian life. Well, guess what? We're teachers as well. We get to teach others the truths of the Word of God, Second Timothy 2.2. 2. Take what you've been taught and trust these to faithful people who will be to teach others also. So every one of us in this room, because of the fact that God desires all people to be saved because of the fact that there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ, and because of the fact that Jesus Christ is our substitute who died for us and paid for sins, we get to go out to announce a message as ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to teach people the truths of the Word of God. That is for every one of us in this room. As Paul was at, we have the same as well. Notice how he ends verse 7. He says, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. It literally means faithfulness and truthfulness. The idea he was faithful to teach the truths of God's word. We get to do the same thing. Now from this, Paul's going to change a little bit. And if you notice starting in verse 8, and the truth is this, all of verse, beginning at verse 8, all the way through chapter 2, and all, almost all the way through chapter 3, Paul is going to deal with issues of what happens when the church gathers together. Now, how do we know that? Well, you get toward the end, verses 14 and 15 of, verse, of chapter 3. Listen to what he says. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Paul says, I'd like to come see you. I hope I'm getting to come. But in case I don't get to come, I'm writing this letter so you'll know how to function, how you're to conduct yourself when the believers gather together. We gather together on Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday night, sometimes Wednesday night, sometimes in small groups. What are we supposed to do when the believers gather together? He's going to talk about men in verse 8. He's going to talk about women in verses 9 through 15. And I'm telling you, they are hard verses, hard because they're contrary to our culture. Our culture tells us to do something different than what the Scripture says. Now, let's talk about the gathering together. Now, think about this. When they gathered together, it wasn't like we do now. We gather together on a Sunday morning. We have an 8.30 service at 10.45. We have Sunday school. We have this. That's not the way they did it. They gathered together on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, but the first day of the week for them in that culture in the first century, that was a work day. Remember, it was a Jewish culture, and the Jewish people rested on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. So for these Christians, they basically would go to work on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. And then Sunday evening, when they were through with their work, then they would gather together. It was not on a Sunday morning. It was a Sunday night, a Sunday evening. Be very much like a Wednesday. Like a lot of churches, we have a Wednesday evening uh, service. We have a, a Bible institute and things. And so what happens is people go to work all day or go to school or something, and then they come together and we eat a meal, and then they come and we either have Bible institute or church service or whatever things that we have on Wednesday night. That was very similar to what they did. Now let me tell you, here's what they would do when they would come together. They had a meal. They called it the agape feast or the love feast. They would all come together and eat a meal, which is supper. Now you saw that that uh, in First Corinthians, Paul really got on to the Corinthians because people were getting drunk at the meal 
and then being drunk for the Lord's Supper. So he got on to them and said, y'all don't need to do that. Okay, you know, that's that's what he told them. So there was a meal that they would eat, and then they would almost always observe the Lord's Supper. They would remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then they would have a service in the same way. They would have singing, teaching of the Word, and prayer. The emphasis was the teaching of the Word. If you remember Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they continually met together with and, and did the apostles' doctrine, which meant the teaching of the Word of God. So Paul is talking about, in this passage, when we gather together as believers, I'm not talking about in the home. I'm not talking about in small groups or something. We're talking about when we gather together as a body of believers, let's just say like on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday night. We'll just think of it that way. Now, why do we meet together? Two things, twofold. Worship and training. We meet, meet together to worship our God and Savior and to be trained and equipped to serve Him. Now, let's talk about worship for just a second. Worship is responding to God, to who He is and what He's doing. We worship in a number of ways. Some people think that the worship is the music. They'll say, yeah, I like the music, and then I like the teaching. I really like the worship, and I like... Listen, every aspect of your response to God is worship, okay? That's what worship is, responding to God. As you sing, as you pray, as you give, as you study the Scripture and make application, that's worship. And so this morning, as you've gathered together, when we sang those songs, you were worshiping. When you gave, you were worshiping. When we pray, you are worshiping. When we look at the Scripture and make application, you are worshiping God. So we've gathered together to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a second thing, and that is to be trained. Train Him. Ephesians 4.12 says we're to equip the saints, do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. The best way to train people is the Word. That's why the Bible talks about teaching the Word. It says preach the Word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. Paul says in 1 Timothy We'll see it pretty soon. He says, what you want to do is you come together, you read the Word, you teach the Word, you apply the Word. That's what he says when you gather. So we gather together to worship our Savior and to be trained and equipped to serve Him. Hebrews 10, 10, 24, and 25 says, we gather together to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, I want you to think, because Paul's going to talk about the body. When we gather, think about gathering together like this. He's going to start with the men, and then he's going to talk about the women. But there's something that you need to understand that Paul emphasizes, that the leaders in the local body are men. They are men. I think, I don't know, the leaders in the local body are the men. We're going to see that. In fact, if you realize that God has ordained that men take leadership, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to see it. In Titus chapter 1, we're going to see it. There is, uh, it we, we see it over and over. 1 Peter chapter 5, I think, is the next slide that talks about uh, that they're to shepherd the flock. The elders are the shepherd the flock. 1 Timothy 3 gives the characteristics of men in leadership. So I want you to understand from the very beginning that the way God has set it up, when believers gather together as a local body, a leadership in a local church are to be men, certain men who have been raised up, mature men who meet characteristics that you find in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll see that in a little bit. He starts with the men, and you'll be amazed at what he says the priority is with the men. Look what it is, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men. Now, he's not saying just men or mankind. He's talking about the men in every place. And when he says every place, he's talking about every place that you gather together. He's talking about meeting together. If you look at the whole context of everything, he's talking about where they're coming together as believers. I want the men in every place to do what? To pray. 
lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Here's what he says. He says, and he's an apostle, and he says, here's what I want from the, the men, these men who are in leadership. I want them in every place that you gather together to be praying. Now, he's already talked about prayer back in chapter 2, uh, uh, at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, where he talked about all the different kinds of prayer. But in this verse, he says, I want the men to keep on praying the emphasis of the leadership the very most the first thing they do now there's all kind of things that leaders do we'll see it over in first timothy chapter three and some other places in the scripture when we get there but one of the things that's important is they pray now notice what he says therefore i want the men in every place to pray keep on praying lifting up holy hands what in the world does that mean well in that culture especially because a lot of these people came out of a jewish background the jewish leaders would sometimes hold their hands up like this when they prayed it was symbolic in fact it was as they said lifted up holy hands it was symbolic that their hands were clean that they had dealt with sin he's saying that when you men pray you need to be in fellowship he calls it holy hands now let me just say something to you our culture today most people don't pray by doing this most people pray by putting their hands they say put your hands together let's pray bow your head close your eyes put your hands together and pray that's what a lot of people do some people say well you get on your knees don't you get on your knees when you pray well if you look in the scripture people got on their knees people got on their faces people stood up people held up their hands people put down their hands there are all kind of different ways that people prayed so the posture of praying is not the issue when he says lifting up holy hands he's saying as you are praying you need to be in fellowship with God that's what holy hands were in the Old Testament, when the priest was serving, if you remember out front, there was a big old altar where they offered the sacrifices. On the other side of the altar, going back toward the tabernacle and temple, was a big laver. It had a whole bunch of water in it. And it's a place that when the priest served, and he took an animal, and he killed an animal, and he put it up on the altar, he was dirty. And he had to go over to the laver and to wash his hands and even put his feet up in there so that he would be clean for the next thing to do. It was symbolic of being in fellowship with God. All this is saying here is the men, as they are the leaders, as they are praying, they need to be in fellowship with God. Holy hands. Psalm 24. Go to the next one. Psalm 24. Who may come to worship? Those with holy hands and a pure heart. He says when you're going to worship God, especially if you're going to lead, you need to be clean. You need to be holy. Uh, to lead, I think the next slide, to lead in worship and service, one must be clean. Now, notice what he goes on to say, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. He's basically saying you've got to get along with each other. You can't be angry with one another. If men are going to lead in the local church, they cannot have anger and dissension and problems with others. If you do, there's always problems. Listen, in leadership in a church, when you have men who have been raised up positions of leadership, if they are in argument or conflict with one another, the church will not function very well at all. They have to be connected with each other. They have to, to be clean. They have to not have dissension. And so that's all he's really saying. Now, let me just tell you about our church. We've got some great men in leadership. We have uh, staff. We've got five on staff, if you count me as staff that way. We've also got a number of elders and a number of deacons. And those are men that have been raised up, godly men, been raised up out of our church. And we have a great group of men who love Jesus Christ and who love one another and so we're, we're in good shape on that and so he says the emphasis should be prayer uh, there was a time that the, every Sunday morning I don't know if you realize this but every Sunday morning the whole staff gets together before around 7 and we pray for the whole service we pray for everything uh, it's good when the elders of the church that would meet together and pray as well. Those are good things. That's what he's saying the emphasis is to be prayer because prayer changes everything 
I mean, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is saying, God, this is this and this is this. And God answers prayer. Now, with that in mind, we're going to go quickly through this last part uh, so you can see it, and we'll come back on some of it next week. He turns to the responsibility of the women. Okay, now he's talking about women when you gather in a worship service like this. And he deals with several things. He deals with their dress, what they wear in verses 9 and 10. He talks about receiving instructions in their role in verses 11 through 14. And he deals with their character in verse 15. Now this morning, all we're going to really look at is 9, 10, and 11. And we're going to have to go fairly quickly so you can get this and see how this fits together. Now... Let me just say this before we actually get into it, because listen to this. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Those verses go together. I want you to understand that what he's doing is this. The emphasis for a woman when they gather together is not to be on clothes or outward appearance, but on actions and character. That's his overall view. The whole emphasis when we gather, especially, and he's talking women, it could be men or women, but he's dealing with women in this passage, the emphasis is not be on the outward part, but on our actions and our character. Let me tell you, the church, you know, the church as a historically, and I'm talking about the church in America, the church, the church in America has just gone off the deep end on this thing. Because we'll read a verse like this and they'll say, women can't wear this and women can't do this and they can't do this. And we get what we call these legalistic churches that have all these rules of what people can and cannot do. I want you to understand some of you may come out of churches in which they told you what clothes you could wear and what clothes you couldn't wear. This passage doesn't say anything about what clothes you wear or don't wear. All it says is you want to wear proper clothing, modest and discreet. doesn't tell you how long or how short or how this or anything. Let me tell you what happens. When you go to a place that tells you what clothes you wear and gives you all that, what they're saying to you is you're not mature enough or wise enough to know how to dress yourself, and so they got to tell you what clothes you can or cannot wear. I want you to know that I think you are mature enough, and when the Bible says wear modest clothing, I think you're mature enough to know what modest clothing is. I don't think somebody has to make up a bunch of rules for you and put you under a law system. When people do that, they're telling you, you're not mature. I think you are. And so this passage, all Paul says is this. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braiding hair, golds, pearls, or costly garments. We'll come back to a little bit of that. He starts off, and he, and he gives the positive, okay? Here's the positive. I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modest, modestly, and discreetly. Now, proper clothing, by, by the way, you know what's so amazing? The word for proper clothing in the Greek is the word cosmos. It's the word for world, but it means ordered system, and it's the word that we get cosmetology from. See, because a woman goes to the cosmetologist to get an ordered system, right? That's what it is. That's what it came from. Got to get everything in place, right? That's what he's saying. He says, I want you to wear ordered Apparel, adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. That's all he's talking about. This is the, the, here's the key. The next, I think the next line says it. The key is not to dress to draw attention to yourself. Whether you're a man or a woman, when you come, you're coming to worship Jesus Christ. You are not coming to draw attention to yourself. That's one of the keys. So for the woman, just listen, it is very easy for women to draw attention to themselves because men like women. 
We like you, right? And so when you come, you want to come dressed in such a way that you don't draw attention to yourself. And guys ought to do the same thing. We're not coming here for people to notice us. We are coming here to worship Jesus Christ and to be trained and equipped to serve him. So all he's saying is, listen, from the positive end, uh, adorn yourself, put on proper clothing modestly and discreetly. Okay? The word modest is, is, a, is a neat word because it literally means the opposite from shame. He says, don't wear clothes that will shame you. Wear clothes that will glorify your Savior. He says, don't bring attention to yourself because it's very easy for that to happen. The goal is not the outward. It's the inward. He goes on to say, look, here's the negative. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. What are we talking about? Because you mean you can't braid your hair? No, he's not even talking about that. Listen, in that day and time in that culture... All the women had long hair, and when they went places, they did braid it. They put it up, but if you were going to show your wealth, if you were going to show how special you were, you put gold, pearls, things up in your hair, and people would look at it and go, look at that. He's saying, look, when you come to the, the meeting, when you gather together, the emphasis is not everybody to look at your hair or look at your clothes or look at you. And you could say men or women the same way, but this passage deals with the women. And so all he's saying is, he's not putting all these rules on you. He's just saying, make sure that when you come together with fellow believers, the emphasis is on your inside, not your outside. Because that is the key. He says, it's not braided hair, it's not gold or pearls or costly garments, it's not all this. See, they were putting the emphasis, I think the next slide says, that this, this is the way they showed their wealth. And I think the next one says, they were putting the emphasis on the outward and how they looked. Listen to this, First Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Don't turn there, but listen. This is Peter writing about something very similar. And he says this, he says to women, Do not let your adornment be merely external, the braiding of hair and wearing gold and jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. What he's saying is be a woman of character. Don't make the emphasis when you gather with fellow believers. Don't let the emphasis be your outside. Let the emphasis be your inside. Because we're coming here to worship Jesus Christ. You know, looks fade, but character doesn't. And so he does this. Now look, look at his contrast. He says, don't, don't make it on the outside, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making claims to godliness. He says, do good works because good works, listen to this, the next one, actions reveal your character. He says, live in such a way that it shows who you really are. And he ends this by saying the actions that are proper for a woman making claims to godliness. If you're going to be a godly woman, you want to live like a godly woman. You want to look like a godly woman. That's basically what he's saying. So he says as believers gather, the men, at this stage, all he just mentions one thing, the men leaders are to be emphasizing prayer. He says, but when you come together, the women, just make sure it's not on your outward part. You don't want to draw attention to yourself, but you want it to be on your inward part. You want to be that you're a godly woman. That's the key. So here's a question for the women. What's your emphasis? Is it outward or inward? Sometimes we spend a lot of time getting the outside ready, but not as much time getting the inside ready. Now, from this, and this is where it begins to get a little bit harder, and this is where it goes against the culture. Uh, we'll just, I'm going to read verse 11, and then next week we'll really get in 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. But he's going to talk about what happens when we gather together and we meet. And here's something I want you to understand. And this is going to be contrary to the culture, but it's what the Word of God says. Women are not to be the teachers 
in the worship service. Notice what he says, verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And so in verse 11, the bottom line that he says is they quietly receive instruction with submissiveness. We come to learn not to teach. Now let me tell you something. In this flow of a, pass, of a, of a gathered assembly, most of the people, in fact almost all of the people who come, whether you're men or women, you come to learn not to teach. Because basically there's about only one teacher. That's me. I get to be a teacher. Sometimes somebody else teaches. But as a whole, when we gather together, it's not for all of us to teach. It's for one to teach and the rest to learn. That's the way he's got it set up. So when he says to the women, he says, when you gather, a woman must quietly receive instruction with submissiveness. That The idea is we're coming together to learn. Hebrews 13, 17 says, believers are to come under the authority of the elders. The elder, the word that elder, elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, they're all the same word in the Greek. They're all the same person. That's the person who is the pastor teacher or the elder teacher. That, that's me in this, in this passage, in this context. So we're going to get into more next week. So if you want to read on ahead and then say, oh, how's he going to talk about that one? Uh, and then some of you will leave next week and you'll say, I used to like JB. And then, but you know, but that's the way it is. There's some good stuff there that I think we'll see it. So more next time dealing with that. Uh, we've seen that Paul talks about responsibility, his responsibility as a preacher, apostle, teacher. He talked about instruction to the men, which the, the men, the leaders, the emphasis was on prayer. He talked about women as a whole and said, don't make the emphasis your dress, your outwardness, but make it be your character and come to learn the Word of God. Let me give you some applications. The first Let's fulfill our responsibilities as representatives of Jesus Christ. Paul was a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. We, he got to announce the good news and the authority and teach the word. Well, we're not all of that, but what we do is we get to announce the truth. We go out this door. We get to announce the good news message of Jesus Christ. We are heralds of the good news message. Second is we're ambassadors. Now, we're not apostles, but we're ambassadors. We represent Jesus Christ. We come with the authority of the Scripture, but we are the ones who represent Him on this earth. And then third, we're teachers. We get to communicate the truths of God's Word to other people. So let's fulfill our responsibility. You have that responsibility to announce the message, to be a representative of Jesus Christ, and to teach the Scripture. Second, Let's remember our purpose in coming together. And remember, it's twofold. It is worship and training. That's why we come together. Worship, what is worship? Worship is responding to God. As you pray, as you give, as you sing, as you study, as you make application, that is your response to Him. So in every aspect of a service like this, it should be an act of worship. But the second thing is training. And training is equipping one another to do ministry. We take the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given us, and we train one another. So with that in mind, since we're thinking about gathering together, men, go ahead to the next slide. Men, we need to be faithful in our roles. And the emphasis for the men, and he's talking about the men in leadership, is the first thing is the priority should be prayer should be men of prayer because that's how you lead a church. That's how you set the direction. It's prayer. Men are to be the leaders, the elders. They're to be praying because that's... And he says here, it's holy men making prayer the priority. That's the key. Now, the second part is the women. Women be faithful to emphasize character. That's the thing that he's talked about. We'll see more next week and we'll see some things that he says and then we'll get to that really really hard passage, which uh, hard verse which is the last verse in the chapter, verse 15. We'll see how that ties together. Women are to be faithful to emphasize character and the focus is on character and service. 
not on selves. And that's both for men or women, but in this passage, he's really emphasizing it for the women. It is easier for a woman to be attractive, to be a focus, uh, to, to bring attention to themselves. And, and so that's why he says, make sure you, you dress modestly, discreetly. You don't put the emphasis on yourself. You've come in to, to worship Jesus Christ and to study the Word of God. May we represent Christ in this community. As we gather, may, we, may the men take the leadership in the body, emphasizing prayer, while women emphasize character and service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for all the things that are here, Lord. We know it just gets harder, so help us to understand it and make application. Thank you, Lord. May we fulfill our responsibility to announce the good news message as ambassadors of Jesus Christ as we teach people the word of God. Please use us, Lord, for your glory. Lord, we know we come together for worship and training. We worship you in every aspect. We train and equip one another to do the ministry. And, Lord, I think of men, especially the men, the men in leadership. The emphasis would be prayer, and I pray that we'll do that. And, Lord, for the ladies, the, the girls, we just know that they're incredible. We thank you for them. We pray, Lord, that they will come just as the men come, as we come. Our focus is to, is to learn. Our focus is to worship. It is not to put the emphasis on ourselves for anyone. But thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Use us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.